Hello again, and welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast with me, Simon Longfellow. And me, Marcus De Silva. On episode 26 this week, Food Glorious Food and the Government Help to Eat Scheme. UK data confirms that we're in recession, and in the US, investors are poised for a stimulus package. And in the big investment, we take a look at the relatively new phenomenon of the robo-advisor. These guys straddle the gap between doing everything for yourself and full-on financial advice, and are generally online services. We look at the main players and where the industry has come from. But before all of that, let's do our usual weekly review of the main stories affecting markets and companies. And as usual, let's do markets first. Marcus, what's been happening? Yes, thank you, Simon. It's been a mostly positive week in markets with some flatness towards the end. And this is as the UK confirms a nasty recession is underway as expected. And investors in the US are waiting on tenterhooks for an agreement on the fifth US coronavirus aid bill. So starting with the UK and GDP data, that's a a measure of the size of the economy, confirmed an expected second quarter drop, putting us into official recession. That's two consecutive quarters of negative growth. What may have surprised was how bad it was going to be, which turns out to be the worst of any G7 nation, with the economy shrinking 20.4%. That's a fifth in the second quarter, almost double that of US and German economies. Chancellor Rishi Sunak claimed that the size of the hit was partially due to the UK economy's outsized services and tourism sector exposure when compared to peers but it doesn't make for happy reading when you also consider the UK has the highest excess death rate in Europe. As such it's halted five days of positive trading in the FTSE 100 which has been slightly added to by the fact that a number of bigger stocks are trading lower as they go ex-dividend. That is if you buy into them you won't receive the next dividend payment along the line. In Europe, the pan-European stock 600 was up for the week, slightly softer trading at the end again, and this is due to the US announcing there was going to be no change to the 15% tariffs it places on imports of planes, so that particularly affects Airbus there, but also 25% tariffs on European goods, which is affecting a whole host of companies. In the US, it has been a pretty bullish week for markets. Investors are eagerly awaiting to hear what goodies are going to be agreed upon in the new US stimulus package. For the moment, it's been held up on Capitol Hill. The White House is arguing that some of the measures included by Democrats are not relevant to the current crisis we're in. The expectation, though, is that a last-minute agreement will be reached by negotiated, but it is keeping the dollar weaker. Bullish sentiment there has left safer government bonds weak for a number of days, a weakness that has been added to by this big slug of 10-year government debt that went on sale through the US Treasury Department, but also figures that show a bit of a bounce in inflation, which indicates to investors interest rate rises might be down the line, which would be used to control inflation. So that always makes government debt less attractive as they're quite sensitive to interest rate rises. In Asia, the weaker dollar is helping trading there. And we've seen Japan up on optimism over a global recovery. But markets elsewhere are a little bit flat at the end of the week as investors are awaiting to see what comes out of a scheduled US-Chinese trade discussions at the weekend 
where they hope to agree some of the terms of phase one of a new trade deal. Okay, thanks for that. Let's move on and look at companies. And this week, I've tried my best to find some of the more positive news out there. Let's start with Just Eat or JustEatTakeaway.com to give it its full and proper name. This week, they announced record revenues for the first half of the year, up 44%. The firm also predicted that despite the opening up of restaurants, that demand for takeaways would remain strong for at least the rest of the year. Orders were up 32% to $257 million, despite some issues around the start of lockdown. Shares rose 2% on the news. Last year, the number of transactions at all cafes and restaurants was up 10% over the week before the scheme, which pays £10 per head for each diner on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. That's according to SumUp. Tuesday was double at at 20%. And record demand is not just happening in the food services industry. As consumers move their shopping online, warehouse owners are struggling to keep up with demand. Unsurprisingly, Amazon is at the vanguard and has committed to opening 33 new fulfillment centres in the US this year. In 2010, about 7% of retail sales were online, but in May this year, that figure went up to 33%. And in the US, dozens of closed shopping centres are now being turned into industrial sites to house storage for online purchasers. And finally, back in the UK, insurance company Admiral this week announced that it would pay a dividend, despite concerns from the regulator during lockdown. The motor insurance firm had previously suspended a 21p special dividend in April, but has now agreed to pay out. It also increased its dividend for the first half of the year by 12% to just under 71p a share. As a group, motor insurers have said that claims fell sharply during lockdown as people stopped driving. Okay, thank you, Simon. Let's get on to the big investment. And we thought over the next few weeks we would have a look at some of the new approaches to investing that have emerged in an area known as fintech, which is a term really that's covering lots of disruptive technologies and solutions um, that have come about in finance and banking over really the past sort of 10 or 15 years. This week, it's robo-advisors, which are very relevant to investing as they basically take away the need to self-manage your portfolio. This is really investing at its simplest. So just as a background, fintech stands for financial technology, and it's a term around new technology-based solutions that have emerged within finance and banking and that have stretched really to the many dusty corners um, of this sector. Um, uh, and that you know that could really do with some shaking up. So this this includes stuff like the way property is sold, its currencies. We've all heard of cryptos. Their cryptocurrencies are, are an era of fintech, online banking. Um, you know, new challenger banks. Many of us might have Monzo. Um, you know, the democratization of investments in general. It's it's a big area. There's lots of there's lots of different things going on there, and I think what makes it possible, hence the name, is underlying technological changes that we've seen really since since the advent of the internet etc so in particular it's mobile computing it's stuff around encryption it's the fact that you have very cheap computer power now in the cloud etc like that 
So what the new propositions are trying to do is target, you know, because when you think of, of the banking and finance sector, it is pretty poor for the way in which digital um, interacts with, with consumers. So they're targeting things such as improving user experience uh, digitally, much quicker speed of service, quicker access, et cetera, et cetera. Robo-advisors are one area that's trying to tackle some of the issues within stockbroking and investing, because at the moment it's all, you know, it can be seen as a bit all uninspired and old-fashioned. So, you know, a bit of TLC was kind of deemed to be needed. So is this a, a replacement for financial advisors? Yeah, well, the name would imply that, wouldn't it? But I don't really think they've got a lot to worry about for the moment. This is really aimed at investors with much simpler financial affairs. So financial advisors will go through sort of this extensive fact-finding and look at the intricacies of your finances to be able to recommend various financial products. But then they'll also manage things like, you know, future financial planning and, you know, anything complicated like intergenerational wealth transfer and those sort of complicated tax affairs this is about a much simpler online proposition it's about getting you from opening an account to investing in the quickest time possible and without you having to worry too much about really understanding that much about investing really Um, so the way it works is that you will have some help to determine the type of risk that you want to take and then depending on that you'll end up in a particular multi-asset portfolio. So that is a broad selection of funds across different asset classes determined by that specific risk profile. Um, And you won't need to worry about any of that. There's a multi-asset portfolio manager who will decide that. You just decide your risk, get put into one of these portfolios, and then forget about it. So what are the steps to investing? See what I did there in robo-advisors. Yeah, so you'll have a website of the, of the relevant robo-advisor, well, simple, you know, a nutmeg, whatever it is. Um, you go there, they usually, these websites look pretty, pretty good. They're very clean. It's a very easy user experience. And the first thing they'll want to really get an idea of is how much risk you want to take. So they're going to ask you some questions based on the idea of your sort of basic goals and attitudes um, to risk. um, it's online it's usually very easy Um, what they will ask will differ from platform to platform but the key in the assessment is really identifying things like how much money you have to invest or how much you might want to save monthly Um, but importantly how aggressive you want to be with risk Um, and there may be some basic options around you know regular investments or whether you want more of an ethical tilt so at the end of this you'll have an idea of the type of of, um, uh, risk profile you have and, and and therefore the adjoining portfolio, um, multi-asset portfolio. And the way that works is according to that risk profile, the um, multi-asset manager, the portfolio manager, will then decide on an asset mix um, depending on that risk profile. So the mix will be shares or bonds or property or cash or maybe alternatives. And by blending those together, that will then will then achieve um, the appropriate risk profile. So, for example, a more adventurous, a riskier portfolio would contain more riskier assets such as shares and fewer bonds, probably. And a cautious one would have, you know, a higher proportion of safer assets such as bonds and cash. And the way they gain exposure to these is through passive investment vehicles generally. So, um, you know, if they if they want to gain a certain exposure to UK shares, then they'll they'll buy, you know, UK tracker funds type thing. Um, if you want to know more about multi-asset investing, um, rather than just robo-advisors, but multi-asset in particular, we do have a blog interview out with, with Ben Seeger-Scott 
of Tilney Best Invest. Um, he's a multi-asset guy, and um, and the article explains that approach in in a lot in a lot more detail. Okay, so how would you summarise the advantages of the robos? Well, I think you know one of the key advantages here is that it, this is low cost investing. You know they focus on passives in order to to bring down um, uh, the investment costs as much as possible for the end user um, and the platform fees are are pretty competitive as well um, also this is you know this is simplicity really there's no faffing around with any clunky platforms or analysis paralysis on what to choose um, this is just simple plug your money in and let it go really um, I also like that asset allocation is a, is an important feature here I think that's likely to be one of those mistakes that retail investors make quite a lot you know have I got way too much in the UK type thing um, it's quite understandable it's hard to see top down where, where you, you know what your asset allocation might be um, so you know this sort of gets around a lot of that and there's you know and there is research out there it's a debatable point but there's research out there that says a lot of returns do come from being in the right asset classes at the right time um, and I think the other thing that I quite like as well is is that we're seeing now the service evolving so that there's an enhanced service for those who want to put in more money or, or spend a bit more um, in the form of, of, of more hands-on advice and, um, you know, an advisor who can actually um, uh, help you out with investment plans, etc. So they are sort of moving, nudging into that advisor space a little more and improving the service. Okay. And what about the disadvantages? Yeah, well, I think the big thing here is that um, it's not driving any further understanding knowledge or interest in investing it's just trying to fast forward you into doing it as quickly as cheaply as possible which you know as we discussed has its advantages but for me that that's not not driving the interest in this as a hobby really you know when you get to when you start to understand strategies a bit more and all the different weird and wonderful um, places in which you, you can invest then you develop your own ideas about you know you know where you might want to invest and how you might want to profit in that way um, and that's the really interesting side of it this is not about that there is no choice you don't select the funds yourself um, it, it's just plug and go really so you know it's arrested development in that sense we at Steps Investing I think want people to learn about investing so that they can make you know more informed better investment decisions um, and I don't think that really you know carries you into into that that area of understanding um, and I think the second big thing is there's no active management for the moment really um, they are trying to reduce the cost to the end investor as much as possible um, uh, so that includes you know not having enormous teams of analysts who are who are who are looking at active managers and assessing the validity of active strategies they're just deciding on on asset allocation according to you know a set amount of risk profiles and then finding a passive to give you exposure to it um, uh, for the lowest possible cost um, and I, you know in my my kind of view is either with the multi-asset fund managers I know they they tend to blend both active and passive in order to get optimal results so there could be a question mark over whether this is giving you really you know optimal results okay Simon you've been having a look at some examples what have you found so the first thing to say about robos is that there's a lot of them out there and there seems to be a new one uh, crop up almost every week but if we start at the very beginning, for that's a very good place to start, there is Nutmeg. Launched in 2011 by Nick Hungerford, a former stockbroker in the City of London, Nutmeg was the first real robo-advisor to start up in the UK. Nick was frustrated by the lack of transparency, high charges, 
and this perceived exclusivity around investing. So set out to make a, a new kind of platform which offered, in his words, ease of use and simplicity. Since then, the firm has gone on to be the largest rowboat in the UK. Now, Nick has actually left the company and some new investors have been found to help build and to market the platform. So what exactly do they offer? Well, one of the things about Nutmeg, and it makes it a little bit different from some of the newer entrants, uh, is that because it's been around a good while longer and it's seen some substantial uh, investments in its in itself, it has a range, a full range actually, of tax-efficient products that you can use to shelter your investments from the revenue. They've got the, the box standard ISA, the individual savings account, but also a lifetime ISA and a junior ISA. Actually, if you want a complete guide to all of the ISAs, just check out our blog on the STEP site. Uh, Marcus wrote a, a fantastic article which covers all of that. Uh, so, what do they offer? Um, they also offer a pension wrapper too, which lots of robos uh, don't. It's what's called a, a personal pension, and not only does that shelter you from some taxes, but the government will also make contributions to your pension when you do. Uh, Nutmeg offer three different flavours of this pension. Uh, there's a socially responsible version, a what they call a fully managed one, or one which comes with a, a fixed allocation and isn't continuously managed. Okay, what's the actual underlying that you're investing in? Well, you mentioned in your section that what you get essentially with Robos is a multi-asset portfolio, and that's true here. But what you're actually getting underneath the bonnet, as it were, is a portfolio of tracker funds, also known as ETFs or exchange-traded funds, uh, to dispel the acronym. Uh, now, these are just baskets of investments that are, are made up from uh, assets in a particular group. So, for example, the FTSE 100 ETF just follows as closely as it can the ups and downs of the biggest 100 companies on the UK Stock Exchange. Now, what you get with Nutmeg and indeed all of the other robos are these portfolios of tracker funds put together constructed, as you said, according to some criteria, uh, usually around risk, which you've specified at the outset. Okay, so what do you reckon the reason Nutmeg don't use actively managed funds or investment trusts? Well, as you said in your overview, it, it's costs, and it's worth looking at this in a bit more detail. Uh, if you look at the fees section on Nutmeg, the numbers they quote, so, so for example, the 0.75% a year charge they make for their fully managed portfolios, that, that number doesn't include the costs of the investments in the portfolios themselves. Uh, now, what I mean by that is that the costs, the cost of the ETFs, they aren't uh, going to Nutmeg, they're going to the ETF um, providers. And what Nutmeg say is, on average, across their ETF range, uh, that comes out at 0.19%. Now, if you were to use uh, investment trusts or investment funds, that 0.19 might actually be like 0.5 or 0.75 on top of the fee that you're paying Nutmeg. So what management are these robos actually doing if they don't manage the funds themselves? Well, in the case of Nutmeg, their 0.75 fee covers everything they do. So that includes setting up your account, transaction fees that they pay when they're buying and, and selling ETFs for you, and the fees for running the platform. But crucially, also it's paying for the, the clever robo bit that makes sure the allocation of assets is what it should be, 
according to the, the risk profile you've agreed with them. Okay, well, you said there were lots to choose from. Have you got any others that you can you can mention? Yeah, there are. Well, let's mention a few. Um, Wealth Simple, they're based in Canada, founded uh, in 2014. Uh, they do some great data visuals, like a, a sliding risk scale that demonstrates how differing levels of risk alter the assets in your portfolio. The human element is also available, uh, and also increasing levels uh, of advice, actually, uh, more help as you deposit larger amounts. Uh, next up, Money Farm. That's another of the more established players. Apparently, they have around 40,000 customers and plenty of backing from big investors. Uh, you know, the website's pretty clean, it's easy to use, uh, the costs are pretty competitive, and again, just like Wealthsimple, they make good use of data visuals. And finally, I just wanted to mention Moneybox. This is slightly different. Uh, this class of robo comes under the header of Roundups. Uh, so what happens is its app automatically rounds up any purchases you make and uses the extra to invest in its portfolios. So, for example, if you bought a coffee, let's say uh, it costs £2.40, uh, when you pay on your card, you get a card from them, you're going to be charged £3, and the app will sort of squirrel away the 60p, the difference, and invest it in your chosen risk portfolio, which is a, it's a really good way of nurturing the investing habit. Okay, thanks, Simon. Just as a reminder, as always, uh, please don't view this as any inducement to buy or any recommendation or advice. The, we're simply using these as examples of the types of strategies and funds that we discuss in, in the big investment. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week. In the meantime, check out the other pods on your podcast channel or on Steps to Investing. They're all there now, so you can get all 25 previous episodes. Uh, do enjoy. See you again next week, and goodbye for now.